Hello and welcome to the PK Soccer Youth Coaching Podcast with me, Paul Kelshaw. During this time, I will be discussing many topics surrounding the youth game and what people like myself are doing to improve the standards of coaching, player development, spectator understanding and personal growth, especially here in the US. I'll be giving my opinion as well as talking to friends, colleagues, past and present, who have had a positive impact on my own personal coaching development but whom I also believe are having a positive impact in the game today. Today I am joined by Barry Beatty. Barry is the girls head coach of Staples High School in Westport, Connecticut. Barry is also a coach for Connecticut Football Club and the owner of First Touch Conditioning. I first met Barry back in 2011 when I hired him as a coach for Noga Soccer. In today's episode, we talk about Barry's introduction into soccer in Derry, Northern Ireland, Liverpool and London, England. We also talk about Barry's success as a high school coach, college coach volunteer and club coach in Southern Connecticut. Not too bad at all. How's it going? I'm I'm doing really good, thanks. First, just give us a brief introduction. How did you first get into coaching? Uh, I kind of started coaching when I was about 15. Um, I was playing for the local teams and stuff like that. And then uh, I picked up an injury. It was the first time I'd ever like got a proper injury where I broke I broke my leg. So then my coach at the time, he his way of keeping me involved was making me come early and see how he set up practices and explain to me what the team was going to do before and like, get the objectives of the session prior to getting it so he was kind of just teaching me so he almost as a like a way of me not losing out on any knowledge while I was injured the whole time and then I just kind of started having a love for that side of the game and then I continued even when I got fit like at 16 again I still I just started coaching then I started doing summer camps and being the helper on the summer camps and and it just kind of fed it. They do more and more, and I just kept wanting to learn and do extras and stuff like that. So yeah, it just kind of started way back then. So then you joined Noga. What year did you join Noga? 2011. And was that – so that was your first time, like your first real, like, coaching job, so before you'd really just, like, helped out with, like, your local no. club? No, because I was 20 – I was 26 when I first joined Noga. So um, how all the boys had come out for the summers and stuff like that, I did. I never did. I just, when I first joined Noga, I'd come straight in and I'd done one summer camp with Chris Flaherty and Dan Clark. And then I was just into my teams. My first real coaching job, so I helped in my local club. And then um, I got I got in touch with these people. And so in Derry, how there's Derry City and there's Institute, there's two clubs. And um, kind of politically, Derry City is a Catholic club and Institute's kind of like a mixed club, okay. so to speak. Um, there's there's what's called the Maiden City Academy, and that feeds players to both. So I I got um, I actually got really lucky. I found I found the the lap of um, my younger brother was playing for that academy, and this guy called John Cunningham and Paul, um, Paul Key were two unbelievable coaches, had coached the Carlisle together. Um, Paul Key was the head of the Northern Ireland Youth Development Programme for the IFA, 
and I just had said to them I was interested in coaching and they just kind of took me under their wing. So I had, I just got into this academy coaching. I was doing a lot of coaching in the community and that's the stuff you got paid for. And then you came to the academy and you didn't get paid for working in the academy, but you're working with the talented players and the kids who all end up going off and playing different places. But they actually put me with this guy called Craig Lynch, who was the same age as me, but he didn't, he didn't play. I, I just, I was still trying to play. Um, and he, his coaching was on a different level than mine. And I, I always used to watch him coach and say, oh, I'd love to be able to deliver. Like I was always thinking, I would love to be able to deliver information how he's doing it and stuff like that. And actually the day you called me, I don't know if you remember, but you were the first contact I had with Noga. The day you called me, I had to leave this practice at Maiden City Academy to talk to you because I was trying to accept the job in America. And he was the one coaching the session. So I had to go like, uh-huh. any chance I can... But yeah, no, the Maiden City Academy was, they were, they were my first real educators. Like the first time I ever seen someone say freeze in the middle of a session. And I'd been playing football for, I don't know, it's just like, I was about 19 at the time, but I'd been playing yeah. football my whole life and I'd never seen a coach say freeze and then fix something and then make you do it again. And I was yeah. like, what the hell? This is a different level. And then obviously I came to Noga and that was so what, coaching. what made what? you want to come to the States and work for, and then why did you choose Noga? I had no, I had zero interest in ever moving to America. Zero interest. I, I was um, a college at the University of Liverpool, um, John Murray University in Liverpool. Yeah. I'd done my teaching degree. After my teaching degree, I'm, I moved to London and I was teaching in a correctional facility for young offenders. So I was doing PE and alternative education, which means like taking these kids to the gym and getting them MVQs and fitness instructing and stuff like that. Um, and it was a really cool job, but I honestly didn't like living in London. It was too hectic, too busy. So when my contract finished after a year, they offered me a new contract. I decided to just go home, like go back to Ireland. And I had no plans for work. And the day after I got back to Ireland, and you'll remember this guy fondly, but I got back to Ireland the day after, and I was playing seven aside soccer with Billy Garnon. Yeah. And Billy Garnon's like, "What are you doing for work?" I was like, "I have no no idea." And he goes, "Well, let me give you let me give you this contact. These people are always looking for coaches, and it was your contact. So now I, I emailed you the next day, and then you got in touch with me pretty much right away. So then I was like, "All right, I'm going to America." So when we were just talking off air before, um about how I had to get someone to cover that session because yeah. I got stuck in traffic. Billy Garnon was the guy that covered my <laughs> session. Yeah. Billy's so. a legend. He is a legend, dude. Yeah. So that's... Um, so then you said you're first... So the fact then that you said you've done kind of like football in the community type of coaching in your hometown, you've done academy coaching, and then you'd worked basically in a correctional facility. Like those... that. The different types of person that you're dealing with. I always said this to to anyone that's worked for a company similar to Noga uh, that you could do whatever you could throw anything at you and you could coach it, and that's yeah. how they kind of set up. And there's the fact that most Noga coaches could, or what we were trained that you could take a run a five year old session, or you could run an eighteen year old like high level session and i always think that that the the way that they prepared you that really like i said they could throw anything at you and and you would you could yeah. um 
you know, make make it work and put on a on a decent session. So the fact that you have gone into like football in the community, um, you know, playing on playgrounds and working with kids that don't typically play, and then working with kids that just I'm I'm just assuming in in that correctional facility from what I've seen on documentaries and things <laughs> was um it you know if you can you know get an attitude or get it out of those type of players then you know then you you're really deemed to be you're going to be successful from whatever you do yeah. so how did that then compare so you said that your first camp was with Chris Faculty and and Dan Clark yeah. what was that like then doing I'm assuming it'd be like three hours as well it yeah, a it, was a nine to, it was a nine till twelve in the morning. And it was at St Luke's High School, which is in New Canaan, very wealthy town. And like Chris picked me up in the morning, and because I had lived in Liverpool for five years, he's from Liverpool. Me and him kind of hit it off right away. And then um, he was kind of explaining to me, "Here's how your camp's going to work." And then when I got down there, they had for the first like thirty minutes of the camp, they paired me with Chris, but he had a group of like forty kids. And I think it was one one of those ones when a new staff member comes in on a Friday and he's coaching on the Monday, no orientation, that sort of stuff. You can be a little bit wary of, here, can you take this group right away? And then Dan had, whilst Chris was doing the warm-up, Dan had given me like the session plan and he said, you think you'd be all right taking this? And I'd be like, yeah, no problem. Because I'd been coaching for, at this point, probably, I don't know, six years or something like that, on and off, seven years maybe. And I'd been educated by really good educators back in Ireland. So I took the group and then they they were just like comfortable with me coaching at them. So from then they would just tell me what the session plan was or the curriculum and then I would just coach it. And they, I think because I done was able to do it, Dan obviously called Scott McBride and they, yeah. they must have. So then I was just always trusted with teams and I was always trusted with sessions after that just because I survived my first week, I think. But then the fact is that... Um... You know, coming coming in then like in your mid twenties, as opposed to being like late teens, early twenties. Yeah. Um. So and and if coaching before and already having that, you know, educational background, like in teaching from Liverpool, John Moores. The fact then that you would take a session plan from someone and and follow it, like that. There's so many people would are just like, no, I I I know what I'm doing, even though. They may, they may not, or like, I'm not listening to you, I'm doing it my way, which sometimes is not the best way to, way to do it. So the fact that you are open to follow that plan, but then I suppose put your own vibe on it, that then they could trust you and then you would get the better teams. I always find that with with working for Noga, it, it's just whatever coaching they ask you to do, just it would just be a case of do it because it would be... Um, you can't be like a prima donna and say, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Cause it would always lead to something and it would, you know, they, you know, they, you would probably have been rewarded later down the road with, with a better coaching gig based yeah. on how well you did in that first, first week. Yeah. When you come in somewhere new, I learned pretty fast as a young, young kid. I was like a 15 year old whenever I was, like half decent at football and I was getting a little bit cockier, a little bit of an ego. When you go into a dressing room and you go start playing men's football, you realize fast that you can't be, like 
you can't walk around thinking you are somebody because even if you even if you are good, you haven't really accomplished anything. And I and I hadn't accomplished anything coaching. I loved it and I always enjoyed working with the people I work with in Ireland. But coming to a different setting and they have what was a big company, my first day I got picked up and Alan O'Keefe and David Barton picked me up from the airport and we drove all the way back to Stratford. I got to Stratford and there was about 15 or 20 coaches from different households all just kind of hanging out there. It was Chris Ogbad's birthday and they were all talking about going to New York City for a day out. Hmm. And I was like, I was fresh off the, air, the plane and I was thinking, all right, I'm going to have to go and meet, like, I'm going to go to the city. I didn't even know where the city was. But it's like, I'm just going to go wherever they're going and make friends because this is such a new setting for me. And everybody was really nice, really welcoming. But I think also because I wasn't an idiot, <laughs> I think I got accepted a little quicker. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes I think it would be, you know, the the, uh, the accent and the the sleeve tattoos help. Like, I don't think many people are going to want in across you. <laughs> so. that, that actually helped me in... Uh, Helped me in London in my job at the correctional facility because I was the only educator yeah. with tattoos and wasn't from London. Yeah. And then the fact that I was I was taking these kids out to the gym to work on some stuff, or the fact I was taking them out to a sports facility where they were doing badminton or they were doing some kind of something that was going to release some endorphins for them and not have them so pent up. I actually got on really well. I never had a single issue with any of the kids. That was that was a tough job. I lo- I loved it, but it was tough to see kids who were like drug addicts at fourteen and alcoholics at fourteen and stuff like that. Here. It's not it's not really your fault. You're born under that kind of environment, and then yeah, I could imagine that's tough. Yeah, yeah. And then a complete contrast then to working with kids in in New Canaan and other yeah. other like minded towns in that kind of area of Connecticut and New York. So then from yeah. with Noga, then you. Were you doing CFC while you were doing Noga as well? No, not at all. I actually only started working with CFC like five years ago, um, kind of after Noga, after UK Elite, all that kind of stuff. Um, I When I started Noga, I was just in New Canaan as part of like the contract there with all the other coaches. We would do um, Darien some days on, when your teams weren't going to New Canaan, you'd go do the kindergarten through second grade program, and then you would just do your teams in New Canaan. And I only stopped, even it was my first year in, I got a job as a high school coach in Westport, Connecticut, which is a kind of a rival town in New Canaan, equally as wealthy, just up the road. And I got offered to be an assistant for a varsity team because I got placed on their preseason camp. Yeah. And then I kept that, I'm still there now, and I, a lot of my work is built out of that town, Westport. But I only left New Canaan two seasons ago, or like, the year before COVID hit, basically, I was still doing work in the youth program there just because I'd been part of that. That was kind of my first gig when I came to Amer- uh, came over to America. I just kind of almost couldn't tear myself away from it. And then eventually I kind of had to because driving up and down the highway between sessions and games was a nightmare. So then, like you said, you go from doing a summer, a summer camp or like you've basically got 20 kids that you've yeah. taken and because you've helped out another coach. And then, so now you've got a, the fact that you've been able to to go from that to then working with the same high school for, what you said, six, seven, eight years. 
I, yeah, I started there. Two thousand and twelve was my first year. Yes, like eight, eight. yeah. So then, um, what would you say? Because obviously, that's uh, with not being a teacher within within the, that school district. How were you able to? What do you think your secret sauce was then to be able to to, to stay in a position for such a long time? I think I got lucky, honestly. I. Uh, so I was the assistant to Heather Driscoll, whose husband is Sean Driscoll, who's the Princeton head coach. Um, and Heather Driscoll, and Sean's one of the owners of CFC. So I kind of got to get that job because Scott McBride kind of okayed it. He was my boss at Noga, and Scott said, no problem. It was a bit of extra income for Noga that they hadn't got before. So he was happy enough for me to go ahead and do it. And she got Heather was pregnant in the first year that I was her assistant and then she gave birth at the end of that season and then fell pregnant again right away. So two seasons running, she was heavily pregnant and she done such a good job of the program and the program was on its way up as it was because it hadn't been, it hadn't won a trophy since 1995 in Connecticut, but Westport's the oldest soccer town in Connecticut. There's, it's a one high school town. So everyone comes to that thing, but for whatever reason, the high school program wasn't achieving. So when Heather actually was stepping away because she's trying to look after two kids, she just said, this guy would be really good for this job. So then when I came in, I didn't change a hell of a lot. I just kind of continued to work me and her had started. And then I I won a championship the first year as the head coach. So obviously I hadn't won a championship since 1995. It's now 2014. And I won a championship and everyone just stands by and go, oh, who's this kid that's just turned this program around where it had been a two three year process right and i just so i got i got real lucky like one of the the, we even scored a 90 like a 90 minute winner (laughs) to win the win the championship or whatever it was like a late late goal and then from there like it was just about i always had said like i I won't be here that that long that was my stepping stone to go to college or whatever but then I just kept getting drawn back like, for my love for the program, my love for the kids, the culture I'd kind of built around the program and stuff like that. And then we just keep winning trophies now and keep being in finals. And I don't know, I can't, I can't seem to tear myself away from it. Was that your first time coaching girls? Yeah, I'd only coached one single girl before I moved to America. It was, yeah, what this, this kid... Um, Taylor, Taylor for what is her last name? Taylor Toland was her name. She had a twin brother that played for this academy team, and she she's actually a Republic of Ireland international. She nowadays, but yeah, she was the only girl I ever coached. Never dealt with coaching girls in my life, and then I go to America, and I just kind of got put on a new Canaan girls team, and it seemed my personality seemed to match with, and I haven't coached the boys team since. I don't think because uh, you know with. You know, you'd mentioned Scott there, and then I spoke to Dave Flower. They had done, they had a lot of success at, at West Hill yeah. High School, um, and then obviously Scott with Sacred Heart and, and Bridgeport, and then Dave. You know, there's just been um, even Ali as well. I think working with yeah. with the girls in Greenwich, like there's been a lot of successful, like. Ex Noga coaches or Noga coaches have done very well with with girls girls programs. So from there, 
yeah. he said now that you're mainly based in in Westport and because of the success that you've had with that program you've been able to to branch out like I know that yeah. um, I suppose we reconnected really through through your Instagram yeah you're, it's yeah about your you like more like your your small group and individual training but then you'd also said that now that you're coaching with with CFC which I know that a few of the other ex-Noga coaches have, have worked for them in the past as well. I don't know if Josh... Do you work with Josh Lenny? No, I actually haven't seen Josh Lenny in a long time, but he works in a different branch. He's uh, more like... Josh is more like North Connecticut. Yeah. So he works for one of the branches up that direction. But yeah, it, it, I don't know. It all just kind of... Once I started working in Westport and coaching the high school team, and then I kind of got took myself away from New Canaan, um, I just had a bit more free time and a lot of Westport kids go off and play for CFC. So I wanted to work with the best kids and it made sense for CFC to have the high school coach from, from Westport work for yeah. CFC. Cause then it makes, then it makes more of a reason for the kids to go there. Um, but I don't work for CFC United like Scott does. That's the top level program. I work for CFC Arsenal, which is the branch that feeds that program. Um, and then uh, I opened my own business, just first touch conditioning because of all the extracurricular stuff that high school kids want to do. And like if they want to do individual sessions, small group work, off season work, that kind of stuff, then I can do it through that. And then I also now work within the youth setup of West Westport. So like all their youth soccer, I do a lot of stuff on the girls side there also. Yeah. Well then before you'd mentioned about um, and I saw a little kind of snigger in your face when you talked about going to do like the Darien kind of programs. But it was those like even I have done um, have done Darien coaching and, you know, my bread and butter now working for Hewlett Lawrence, very similar to, to that kind of, of program working with those, you know, beginner grassroots level players. But then they, you know, working for, working for Noga and the fact that you're not afraid to go into to do all these other programs and now you, you're working within you know just I think it's just a big part of like who you are and how we were trained there's so many clubs that you notice where the high school coach there isn't really any connection with the local club in fact there's yeah, not, I... non-existent um so the fact that you're trying to like you know bring those those two together must be obviously helping the program yeah it does it helps the program loads because i always when i the, the biggest thing i loved about noga was how close all the coaches were and like the staff training i'd give my right arm they have have to go to staff training on tuesday morning like i i can't remember the last time i even had to do staff training and that was that was my favorite part about noga was going and watching tim or bookie or I don't know, whoever else wanted to coach that day, just coach. Yeah. And then I love getting the feedback when I had to take my turn, even though it was the most nerve-wracking thing ever, because you're coaching in front of 40 of your peers, and if you get it wrong, you're the talk of the time for the next couple of days. So then when I, whenever I went in and I was now the boss, so to speak, at being the head coach, I actually didn't know what came with being a head coach was. I didn't know that you were a central figure head for the community on the girls' soccer side, I didn't know, like, I didn't even know what getting plus 500 meant. And 
they qualify for states. I had no idea. And was, so I was pretty much learning on the job. And then we, I always knew what the CFC and the Beachside and the CT Rush, like these are all the top premier kind of clubs. I always, it's easy for you to go on there, try out and spot those kids. But the problem I was seeing was the kids who was coming from the town program, they weren't, they were making it as a freshman, but then such an elite program, I was having to cut those kids as the years went through. And like the worst part of our job is telling a kid, no, sorry, you're not good enough. And I, I hated that. So I was always past there in the Westport board, just saying like, I don't know who's coaching the U 13s and U 14s, but is there any way we can fix it? So when they're developing that they can get taught kind of the similar stuff that I'm teaching in the high school. So at least they're more prepared. Yeah. And then Westport finally gave in to me after like six years of asking, he just went, do you want to just coach those teams? I was like, absolutely. So now I actually coach the seventh and eighth graders. So I know them two years prior to them coming to the high school. And now what we're seeing is the kids coming in from club are still good kids. They're, they left the town a long time ago, but now the town kids are getting the level of coaching and the understanding that, that when they come to the high school, they already played under those tactical shapes and they already developed. We get 10 million touches on the ball or whatever, whatever yeah. time you have reached there. So, yeah, I like it. It's kind of my own project. I'm, I'm my own boss. And so far it's been a success. So hopefully it continues. And have you had to like work with an assistant to, to help this happen or has it been all by yourself? Yeah. No, I, I've, I've been lucky enough where it's a pretty wealthy town. So we, we, when I first went in, I started a booster club there with the parents of the past and the alumni. So I've got a booster club. So there's a, and a, the school pay for me as the head coach, one assistant, my JV coach, my freshman coach, and then my booster club pay for a second assistant for me and an assistant for each of the JV and freshmen. So I've had people like, I kind of used my platform to allow people like, I don't know if you remember Darren Gurley. Yeah. So coaches like Daz, he, he's been a good friend of mine for my first Cane Day America. But it, when he was coaching the New Canaan, and the, the New Canaan board, I always hated because I, I take all the good coaches and because they come work for my program. <laughs> but I've had a, Daz, Daz came work for me as my assistant for a couple of years. And then he got offered a head coach's job, so he went and took that. Um, another guy who worked in New Canaan, but it was after Noga, he came was my assistant for a while. He he's now head coach somewhere else. So, um, but I I've had one permanent mainstay as my assistant when I first got there. It was a, a lady called Mackenzie Pretty, and she played for Guilford High School in Connecticut. Then went and played for Fairfield, won the MAC conference at Fairfield. Um, and Fairfield's a good D1, D1 school with a decent program in the MAC conference. And she was a parent that just moved to town and had heard about the job, had no interest in being an assistant. She thought she was going to be the head coach. But then whenever she got to meet me and I kind of explain what her role would be, I guess she realized it wasn't quite as, as an assistant's job. And she's become one of my very close friends here. And we've kind of done this thing all together all the way through. And she's been great to have for many reasons like she's such a positive person she's a fitness instructor knows a lot about nutrition fitness all that other side of the game where i can just solely focus on the soccer coaching well then the so fact then that you're able to um you've had like that one long-standing assistant that stuck by your side and 
you've been able to make them fit, feel like worthwhile and, and a huge part of the program. And then you'd mention like, like Daz and then some of the other people that kind of come and worked under your wing and then got their own like head coach position. So the fact yeah. that you were like helping, helping other coaches as well, like succeed as well and, and move on with their careers. So where in all this did you being an assistant with Bridgeport, is this before all this, or is this in between? No, this was, this was all in between. So, like, part of the reason why I like to like help, I was I helped Daz out and stuff like that was because the people when I first got here, like Scott McBride and Magnus Nilrod and stuff like that, they they gave me so many opportunities. Even to this day, they still like ask me, "Oh, do you, do you want do you want to do this, or can you come do this?" Or so when you have people like that, or you help you out and kind of give you a small platform to succeed. Like I, I would never have the stables job if Scott McBride wasn't my boss. He was yeah. like he was so easy going about the whole thing. The coach called him. He went, no problem. Just so then I just got straight in the door. I was a brand new coach. You know, I, I would never have got that if Scott didn't okay it. Um, and he was he's always one that's been like kind of batting for me to succeed. So I kind of wanted to give other people that opportunity who. Who, who were along along on the right me, but then we Bridgeport. Um, it was the winter before Scott left, so I was working with Scott there and um, Charlie McAdam, who's an our coach there. He uh, at the time Magnus is the head coach, Scott is the associate head coach. They would leave it for the assistants to kind of run the winter program for and going into spring for Bridgeport. That was kind of their role. For them, they kind of say, right, you're going to step up now. This is when you're going to do your most of your learning. So Johnny was kind of running it by himself. And uh, I just got talking to him one day. And I was like, well, if you need help, let me know. I'll volunteer. So I volunteered all the way through winter and in the spring. Then Scott said he was going to leave because he got the job at Sacred Heart. It's actually a sad old moment that Scott was getting, a, get, he always used to say, oh, it's been emotional as a joke. And this time it was actually emotional. And I thought I seen a little tear in his eye. He'll probably say no, but it was like seeing your dad cry. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you, so I was like, Jesus. So Scott, Scott, then uh, he moved on, and then I stayed just volunteering with those boys, and then we just kind of, I don't know. The season started. It was a world win, and we just kind of ran all the way to a national championship. It was an unbelievable journey, and I had the be- I feel like I had the best seat in the house because they had. Magnus and the the new assistant Jack Abelson, Johnny was there. Um, Andre Lindsay, who's at Sacred Heart with Scott, was the goalkeeper coach. Chris Flaherty was there as a uh, grad assistant, and I was there as a volunteer. So the coaching staff was all foreigners that were yeah. all coaching this this team. And my my sole role as as a coach, I was the guy to make sure everyone's morale was high. I would coach the warm-ups. I'd coach here, bits here and there. Magnus would always give me a platform to coach. But being like the coach that's the furthest down the pecking order, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. I was there just to make sure that the players who weren't playing were having a good time to make sure that they understood why they weren't playing. So I was I was like just making sure everyone was okay and had a smile on their face. So I got to really enjoy that whole running all the way through with everyone having the stress of actually picking a team. You know what I mean? But then, from what you had mentioned before, with with your high school coaching, the fact that, and I've heard this before about Magnus, that 
he not afraid to give someone you know an important job and oh, you know and, and like let them go with it and do their own thing because you you know I know we kind of uh, joked about it and even when we're talking to Scott how you know like the, the year that he left and then and you and and Chris and and then they win championship but then you said that and then and then you run do a similar thing with with Westport so it's yeah um it can't I know you joke and say it's luck, but it can't really be lucky. It just you know it happened twice. Uh, I so <laughs> I, I know I know I'm not that kind of guy to go everywhere I go. We seem to win or whatever. I don't know. I guess it might be a bit of a positive outlook and like because your my philosophy and coaching changed a, a lot a lot over the years. But working with people who help educate you and who want to see you succeed, it kind of gives you motivation. And then Magnus was like. He's such a good head coach. And I had always seen them. I worked in the Summer Select program. That's why I kind of got started with Magnus Scott. So I'd always seen like the, I don't know, the playful side to those guys. Never seen them coach seriously because all, all us coached for them. They never really done the coaching. Um, and then when I seen him coach, I was like, I'd known him for eight years and never seen him deliver a session. And then I'd seen him deliver a session for the college team. And I was like, whoa, like this guy's quality, this job. Um, so then I was like, I was sold. Then I was in. I was, I wanted. I bought into everything he was saying. I don't know. It gave us. It gave me a lot of freedom to do what I wanted to do and put my personality on the team and help out as much as I possibly could. And he's always said, if you want to do, if you want to come here every single day, learn in the office, learn about recruiting, learn about video breakdown, come do it. And then, so I just done all of it. I would go in it eight in the morning, I would leave at one. I would drive straight down to Stables and do my Westport High School program. And then I would leave there and go to my CFC game and I would leave the house at eight and I would get home at eight. But because everywhere I went, I was getting a different level of coaching. It almost kept me, kept it always kept, kept me interested because I couldn't use the session I used for Bridgeport with my high school kids. I couldn't use that session with my U14s or my, uh, my U11. So everything, I, I had to make sure I was so planned. Yeah, I don't know. I love. I I was just like seeing all sides of the game, you know. Yeah. Well, then the fact that, like you said, you're um, you've used that word education or like um, a, a lot throughout throughout this discussion, and that you were learning from even that your time back in Northern Ireland, learning off coaches, and then you've seen that you're um, you know, learning just learning from other people, and then you said the fact that you said they're like giving having the freedom like there aren't maybe there are but like you said no one gives you 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 get off a plane and no one gives you 20 kids somebody yeah. gives you a session plan and say off you go like the fact that you're able to um kind of take the bull by the horns and just work with that freedom and make it your own but then you've not forgot where you've come from and you've helped those people like along the road and like the way the same way that they've helped you probably like um a credit to to the program that that you have developed so i've been so now i've seen a lot of your training on instagram with with your players doing like small group and uh and individual training and again they seem like high level you know quality players so they are they players from your your westport program or you're attracting players from from other other clubs, other organizations? 
a bit of both. Yeah, it's a bit of both. So like, I've got a group of boys who play for a different club altogether, but they they're from Westport, so they kind of know or kind of heard that I was a good coach or whatever, and they kind of wanted to be involved. They all the other kids are like CFC kids, but from Westport, who because I'm working all my sessions out of Westport, they don't have to travel too far, and they know we're going to get good quality. Um, and then like, I, I never do individual work or small group work with any player that's on my own team because I just kind of think it's better to not do that because if just that one day you play them the extra five minutes, you might you might get one of those emails that you don't want. So I, any kid from my own team that wants that work, I pass them off to a coach who I know will do a good job. But I always kind of get work from Westport, but they, they're all different levels and different ages and different genders. Um, and then really it's just about, I always connect because I know a lot of people who work with my players. I've never had a single coach outside of Johnny, who's a good friend of mine, just reach out to me and say, oh, I'm working with a group of kids that play for you. What do you want them to work on? Because I always, I don't want them to be given information that's, that's so far away from the coach that they're actually playing for. If, if they're getting supplemental training for me. So I always, I work with a lot of Alistair's kids um, yeah. doing supplemental stuff. So I would just ask him, what like, what does this kid need? And he goes, and it's always only technical stuff. And he would say, I need them receiving back to goal and ball striking. So that kid is only getting ball striking and receiving back to goal. All the other stuff, their club coach can give it to them. But it's the, it's the stuff you don't get, the individual attention you don't get. You don't really get they hit 250 balls with your laces at a team practice because the coaches got 18 other kids they work on and maybe a game they prepare for and stuff like that so that's kind of what I do in my supplemental stuff is just doing the stuff that the coach can't deal with when he's got 18 other kids well from from my experience that's quite a, a unique approach there's so many people that would think oh uh, I'm not gonna let that coach work with my players they'll you know next season they'll be playing for him or or playing yeah. for her Whereas the fact that then you've got that, you've built that reputation and you've got that trust and that, you know, that it's not, um, it's not based on greed. It's based on like yeah. a, on a genuine thing of like wanting to help these players. You'd even mentioned before going in at voluntary, going in at eight in the morning and then going back at eight at eight at night, just really to um, generally like help players, yeah. you know, improve and get better. Like, like that's a, that's a big thing and it's such um when you mentioned it there about just calling up a coach or what does this player want to work on i i probably what a great approach i would have thought myself how people would have thought well if i call this coach he's going to be frustrated that why didn't that player work with me but then the fact that you can back you know back it up with a rationale and then i guess like the proof is in the in the yeah. pudding, really, but if that play is getting better and and it's because of just um, a simple conversation with another coach instead of trying to do things, you know, secretive or I've even yeah. had it with where players have have like said, well, don't tell my coach that I'm getting the training. Like they yeah. don't want them, they don't want them to know and things. So um, you know, little silly things like that, like you said, trying to like um, take a back step away from that those like in club politics and discussions that yeah. could happen. Probably one of the, the reasons why you said that you wouldn't, co- you wouldn't, 
you know, do individual training with your own players. Um, but then I think that's just, uh, again, kind of just proves another another feather in your cap into like the kind of the job that you've been doing, kind of the person that you, you are and the person that you've become. It's, um, you know, really inspiring to hear this. You know, Barry, this has been excellent to hear from you and get a bit of an insight into your to your coaching and your background. I thoroughly enjoyed it and wish all the best for the end of the season. Thanks, Jermaine. I appreciate it. It's been eight years since I last talked to Barry, so it was a pleasure to catch up and talk about his career since Noga. Barry's approach to education and wanting to learn from others while also making the people around him better is quite remarkable. His achievements on the field, whether it be high school, college or club, are something to be admired. I also take my hat off to how Barry has worked as a member of a team and how he has worked well with others to improve the standards of girls' soccer, especially in Westport, Connecticut. Thank you for listening to the PK Soccer Podcast. Don't forget that you can follow me on Twitter, at Paul Kelshaw, Instagram, at Paul Kelshaw, like my Facebook page, at PK Soccer Inc., or send an email, paulkelshaw at pksoccer.org. I would also be grateful if you could give the podcast a review and a rating and share with your fellow coaches and friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.